0: only two God asked the question is there anything too hard for me can you tell me where those two passages are found and the story that goes with them only two you must have heard of them right what's that is there anything too hard first one is found in Genesis Cami. Sarah, what was the occasion? She was, having a, she was going to have a baby. God told her she was. She was way too old. And God said that to her. And what was her response? She laughed. And God heard her laugh. Hmm. And then he says to her, is there anything too hard for me? In other words, don't laugh at me. I can do anything, right? The other one is the passage I want you to turn to. And that is Jeremiah 32. I know you know this passage because of the phrase I just mentioned that's in it. In fact, that little phrase, once asked, or and said, I should say, by Jeremiah, once asked by God, actually is the framework for the text. It brackets it. It begins and ends it. And God wants us to know the answer to that question through Jeremiah's prayer. Now, God asked Jeremiah the same thing as he did Sarah, is there anything too hard for me? Now, Sarah laughed and Jeremiah prayed. I I think you know which one of those responses are better when God asks that question. Let me read the text for you. It's worth reading, so I'll take the time to do it. Jeremiah 32 and verse 16. After I'd given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, and, and it's emotional. That's why the word is in there. And this also brackets at the end. He says, oh, Lord God, because this is a very emotional time. So don't just read the text cognitively. Put a little emotional feel what he's thinking. And I'll tell you why he's feeling so strong about it. It is you who made the heavens and earth by your great power. Notice in the text, great power, verse 17. He says, great counsel in verse 19 He says great terror in verse 21 because God is still great and he wants us to know it. By your great power and your outstretched arm. He's going to say that again also in verse 21. Nothing is too hard for you. That's what Jeremiah believes. Here's the problem. It's what he believes and what's going on around them. They don't mesh. They don't go together. In fact, they're the opposite. And that's the struggle and that's why he's praying There's nothing too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands. Interesting word, steadfast love. It refers to a word that oftentimes is talked about when you talk about a stork, believe it or not. Because in the Old Testament, that stork, that animal was, uh, an animal that they thought about was so compassionate in taking care of its own. So when they thought about God, they thought about, this is how God acts. He's a God who's just so kind and loving, compassionate. He takes care of His own, even when His own turn away from Him. So you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O oh, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Great in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and, and has made a name for yourself, second time, as it is this day. You brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand, second time, remember, an outstretched arm. Those were Exodus terms. And with great terror. And you have gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them, Moses, a land flowing with milk and honey, way back, even beyond that, they entered and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds outside of Jerusalem was Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and they were going to take him over and destroy the city and burn it to the ground. And it was happening, even as he was talking. Behold, the siege mounts have come to the city to take it. And because of the sword and famine and pestilence, the city has given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke, God, has come to pass. And behold, you see it. See, there it is. Yet you, O Lord, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses. And then there's a dash there because it's like a pause. And that's the only way they could, tr- like he's thinking about it. Like God, see, You told me to do this, but you're doing this, and they don't go together. God, how can you tell me, go buy an inheritance, go buy my uncle's land that's going to be mine someday, go spend the last dime I have, I'm sitting in the court of the prison, read the first part of the chapter, and outside the walls, they're going to destroy Jerusalem, they're going to desolate the land. This is not exactly, if you ask a normal real estate agent, a great time to buy property when someone's going to destroy it all. And by the way, he brought the property, and guess what? He never saw the land built on. He never used it. In fact, he never saw the land restored because it was going to be that 70 years that way, and he died first. So here's what he's saying. God, here's what you say, but this is what you want me to do. I don't get it because they don't match up, he says. Buy the field for money, though the city... See, though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans... Why in the world would you want? I know you can do anything. I know you can. But why would you want to do that? The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. And then God says it second time in the Bible. Is there anything too hard for me? Can I tell you about his dilemma tonight? God asks him, when the Babylonians are coming in, to take over the land and destroy everything, to build, or not build, but to buy a piece of property which will have no value to him. He'll never get to see it. In fact, he's buying a piece of land while he's in prison. Doesn't make any sense, does it? It'd be like someone saying, I'm going to buy a piece of property for a lot of money at the foot of Mount St. Helens. You wouldn't do it. Someone came up to you and said, hey, I have a $30 million luxury hotel. And I'm going to sell it this week for 30000 It's $30 million normally, but you can have it for 30000 You say, what's the catch? Well, I didn't tell you. It's in Afghanistan. And you would say, no one buys property in Afghanistan. Why? Because there's a war going on. There's no peace there. It'd be crazy to do that. That's basically what he's asking him to do. See, here's what God says. You have to trust what I say. You have to believe my promises. And sometimes it doesn't look like if you look at what I say and your circumstances, they may not always go, go, i.e. Noah. Why would Noah be told to build a a big boat in a place where there has been no water? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Why would Abraham to be go out to another place and God says, you don't need him that. Just start walking. I'll show you where to go. Moses is told, here's what I want you to do. Leave the palace of Egypt, all the comforts you've known, the power and position, and I want you to leave all of that, and I want you to go to the desert, and I want you to live in a tent. And you say, listen, that doesn't make any sense. Why would God do all of those things? See, when you're under siege in your life, like Jeremiah was, and he's surrounded by armies, sometimes it becomes difficult for us to see God, to see God's story, to see God's promises correctly. Jeremiah needed an alignment. Now, all of you know that I'm an expert when it comes to cars. But I know enough about this. As I've had so many old cars, I know what an alignment is. So when your tires get out, and you can tell there are, there are signs that you need an alignment if you're tread is uneven, if the car is pulling to one side or the other, your steering wheel is off-centered. Those are, and I've experienced every one of those. And what you do is that you don't go and get your tires fixed. I used to think, wow, I just need them to straight. You have to get the suspension fixed. It has to be a line so that the tires will be straight and the wheel will be centered Because you have to get under the car and you have to work at the suspension, the things that control it. And see, that's what Jeremiah, he needed a life alignment. And you know where you get that? To be able to say, Lord, I come to you when my life is under siege. Things are not going like I expect. Things don't really match or work together. See, what I need is to be, and you know where the alignment in our life comes from? When we get into the word of God and then we get on our knees. That's why a number of times, four different times in this text, it says the word of the Lord came to him or the word of the Lord. You know why? Because what he needed to do to make sense out of the siege, to make sense out of the siege happening and God telling him to buy a piece of land anyways, is he needed to hear what God said and he needed to hear Himself talking to God. God needed to talk to him, and he needed to talk to God. That's how we need an alignment. You know why we have prayer week? And you know why it's pastors, we're always telling you to read your Bible? Because here's what I believe. Every single day of your life, we need an alignment. We need an alignment. And when God talks to you through his word, and you talk to God through prayer, you're getting your life aligned. With him and with his story. See, here's what's easy to do. Jeremiah said, God, I'm in a prison outside of the Chaldeans. He says, God, why would you want me to buy this piece of land? And you know what he begins to think? That this is about me. And so he says, God, I know it's not anything too hard for you to do. And so I'm going to trust you. So he does obey, and that's great. But you know what he has to find out? Because the hope. The whole prayer in the chapter is filled with plural pronouns. The reason God was telling him that, because he wanted his life to be a model to all the rest of the Israelites who were completely out of line with God, and that's why they were being besieged. He wanted them to say, See, I want them to find hope in me like you do. So here's what I want you to see, Jeremiah. I want to see what I'm doing in your life, and I want you to see all of that in the bigger picture. Of what I'm going to do someday in all of Israel. And so all, a lot of our favorite passages, Jeremiah 29, which says, God says, I have a hope and a future for you. Jeremiah 31, God's going to make a new covenant and he's going to change Israel from the inside out, starting in their hearts. And we love those passages, but you know what they are? They are builders for this portion of scripture. And why God says, hey, I know I said this, and then I ask you to do this, and they don't look like they go together. See, they do. If, Jeremiah, you can see yourself and what I'm doing in your life as part of a bigger story. See, that's what prayer does. That's what the Word of God does. It allows us to align ourselves every day and say, you know what, God, do whatever you want in my life. And let me be an example and picture of what you're doing. So God, every day I read your word to find out what the story says. And then I get on my knees. And you know why I do that? Because I submit to whatever that story is about. And that's hard to do. You know why? Because the truth is, naturally, I want to live my own story. And if I don't say, hey, every day I read the Bible, and you know what? I'm in this story. I'm not in the American story. I'm not trying to write my own story. See, every day I read the Bible and I pray because I put down the pen of my life and I let God pick it up and write my story because truthfully, he's already written it. It's right here. And you can't do that unless every single day you make a point of alignment with God through his word and prayer. Jeremiah does it from a prison. How can this be so? To buy a piece of land, that's crazy stuff. And see, God's gonna ask you perhaps this year, like he's asked some of these missionaries to give all this up for to go somewhere else. And maybe he's going to say, hey, you know how I want you to spend your money this year? Differently. Here's, you know what I want you to do with your time off this year? I want you to do this. And you go, God, what? Are you serious? Yeah, align yourself. Get in my word. See what really matters in this world. And so you're going to spend your time and you're going to spend your money differently. Why? Because you're making an alignment adjustment. How do I know that God can do that? Let me close. Two things. And I'm just going to tell you, basically. Read the prayer for yourself in detail in the passage. You know what God and Jeremiah spend their time doing? Number one, telling God telling him and Jeremiah saying back to God, this is who you are. You know why we had a prayer time of adoration tonight? Because we need more of that. Not just to praise God, but to remind ourselves every day using theology proper that this is who God is. Do you see in the text? Three times he's called the Lord of hosts. Now, why would you choose God's name, the God of the armies, when the armies of Babylon are out there defeating your people? How can he be the Lord of hosts? Does it make any sense to you? It doesn't make any sense to me. Why pick that name? Because God wants you to know that, hey, when you're being sieged in your life, it isn't because there's any deficiency in him. He's still the Lord of hosts. It's not because he lacks the power. And Jeremiah states that at the very opening of prayer, you made heavens and earth. You are the great and mighty God. You have all power. This is not a problem that you've made because of something you lack. He says, you know why you're in this problem? Not deficiency in God, but disobedience in you. That's what he says. God, this is who you are. You're the Lord of hosts. You're the mighty God. You're the God who's loving and kind and gracious. He even says to Jeremiah, I am the God of all flesh. He's powerful. He's on the throne. See, this is why in 2019, when you get besieged and you're surrounded and you don't know where to go, get on your knees and get in alignment. And the first thing you need to know is this. This is who God is. Never forget that. And in the text, can you see it? You know what he does to remind himself? Hey, this is the same God that brought us out of Egypt the signs, the wonders. He was powerful by his outstretched arm. See how, remember the Red Sea? Remember all the plagues? And that was over a thousand years earlier. And here's what Jeremiah says. God, you haven't changed one bit. The problem is, is that we change. We're not faithful. But God, I'm in your story. And if you're still writing your story, I believe even though we're getting decimated today, that you can change it all and reverse it all in in a moment. And 70 years later, he did. And God kept his word and restored Israel. And they came out of exile. Now, it took a long time to get back to where they were. And they're still waiting for the fulfillment in Jesus altogether. But can I tell you, God keeps his word. Know who he is and know what he's done. Know what he's done. He's the God of the Exodus. He's the God of power and might. And can I tell you this? And he still is. He still is. I don't know where you're going to be or where as a church we're going to be this year. I know we have a township meeting tomorrow. And I've led all kinds of letters from them trying to create more hassle today even. But can I tell you this? My eyes aren't on them. We have an exodus God. And he's still the great God. And he's great in power and wisdom and terror. And our God is strong and he's mighty. And he can handle any siege that you face. And any problems. you know why? Because what God starts, he finishes. And he's going to finish his story. It's the story of his glory. And he's invited you and I in 2019 to get in that story and keep ourselves in his story. And you cannot do that unless you read his word and seek his face. Would you stand with me? We're going to do what we do once in a while here at Faith Baptist Church. We're going to cross the aisles and hold hands as God's people. And we're going to tell God we know there's nothing too hard for you. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we believe that. We believe there's nothing too hard for you. You don't have categories of easy and hard. Father, You can do all things, anything. And what you delight in is your own name and your own glory and your own story. Tell it through us, we pray. Let our lives, as the song we sing in the hymn book, let our lives tell your story. We have an opportunity every day when we get up, To frame our lives in your story, to get in your story, live your story out every day. And we need your word and we need to get on our knees to have that alignment because the world's pulling at us. There's other alternative stories. There's other identities that the world wants to feed us. And we have to constantly remember who we are because of who you are. Help us to do that. Help us to teach our children and our teenagers to do that. And help us as a church to find fresh, creative ways to the word of God, the spirit of God, to live it out in our community every day. Use us to make your name famous in Hamilton and around the world. And may people know because of what you do in our lives that there's nothing too hard for you because you alone are God. And we'll praise you and give you all the blessings in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.